is um, gifting. Thank you, Lynn. Th thank you that Lynn's been able to do this for for, for, for many years and um, for you for you to speak through him in various different circumstances in this country and, and across the world. And uh, thank you, Lord, that you've used him in many different ways. And we just pray now, as you, Lord, that you'll you'll speak through him again. Give him the words to say, and that that uh, we all will be encouraged, Len will be encouraged, and us all will be encouraged and will, will be built up as a, as a fellowship, but also built up as, as a church together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Jonathan, for the warm welcome back again to Great Parks. I didn't make a note of how many years I've been coming here, but it's a, it's a long time. But what Jonathan said, of course, is very true. I guess most um, preachers have a mentor. And one of my mentors was um, an American Southern Baptist preacher called Dr. Vance Havner. He was very, very, very good at uh, getting the truth across in sort of very cute little sayings. Like one of the ones he used to say was, uh, how can you be optimistic if you've got a misty optic. <laughs> um, but the one thing I remember most about, and I've read most of his books, although I've never met him, um, and um, I well remember listening to a, a recording of him uh, addressing one of these big Southern Baptist conventions. And he got up on the platform and um, sort of, uh, he was introduced and to, to, the, to the folk. And then he started and he said, well, I guess many of you don't know me. But he said, I've been around a long time. In fact, I knew Billy Graham when he was a boy. So there you are, Jonathan. I could say with the English accent tonight, well, yes, I knew Jonathan when he was a boy, which is true, absolutely true. And uh, I guess for me, this is some of the things, of course, that I'm enjoying in life now is seeing young people who were in junior school when we first came down here to live, who are now uh, in pastoral roles, who are doing all sorts of stuff as they've come to faith in Christ. So I want to speak to you about some words of Peter this evening. And I want to say, first of all, that the, the message I bring to you is one I preach to myself, firstly and foremostly, as well as preaching it to you. Because there comes a time in our lives, and we know that this comes to all of us at some time or other, where we find ourselves facing the question, where do we go from here? Sometimes it's when young people get their results of A-levels or O-levels, and they say, ah, depending on what I've got grade-wise, where do I go from here? And the decision has to be made. And I want to uh, draw your attention this evening to this first letter that Peter wrote to the early church. Because in this letter, we see Peter in the same way by what we see he's written here. We see him understanding that the early church had probably reached one of these moments like that where they needed to ask the question, where do we go from here? Let's look at it another way. In the opening part of chapter 1 of his first letter, he tells us how scattered the early church is. 
It covers many provinces. It covers a huge area. And you can just imagine all these Christians in these different little churches, some very small, some a bit larger, scattered all over the place. And, of course, they've now been founded. The church of God has begun to grow. The kingdom of heaven is beginning to expand. But then maybe Peter senses that things are going to level out. They're going to grind to a halt. And the question, therefore, in his mind would be, where do we go from here? And I come here this evening realizing that in the same way here at Great Parks, you have the same sort of opportunity. In the last, let's say, 20, 25 years or so, you have seen this fellowship grow. You have seen people come to faith in Christ. You have seen people called to mission. You have seen people come to Christ when the gospel has been preached. And regularly, God's word has been preached here, Sunday after Sunday. And I would guess, although I am not a member, that it's nice to be a member at Great Parks. I guess it's a nice place to be. Lots of young people here, lots of things going on, lots of nice people in the congregation. It's a great place to be. But you know, it's quite easy to let things level out and think, yeah, well, like the early church, we've been established now, and so, okay, let's enjoy it. Let's sit back. Let's get the deck chairs out. Let's get some good preachers to tickle our ears, and, and you know, let's enjoy it. Well, of course, friends, God wants us to enjoy our Christian life. But you know, the greatest enjoyment in any Christian's life would be that moment when they lead a soul to Christ. You see, there are joys in being together in fellowship. There are joys in singing these great worship songs and going to spring harvest and other such meetings. But the thrill of actually being able to kneel down with someone and hear them pray the penitence prayer and remember the time in your own life when you did that. And the joy that came flooding in and the hope and the peace that then you saw come into your life, it's a very special moment. And so I think what God is saying to us this evening is this. A man like Peter, who was such a great man in the early church, when he speaks, we need to listen. You notice that whenever you read about Peter in the Bible, his name always came up on the first top of the list. When disciples were quoted, as a group, Peter's name was always on the top because he was a man of outstanding spiritual status. You see, Peter was the one of all of them who dared to walk on the water. That's the sort of man he was. And so here he is. We don't know exactly where he was when he wrote the letter, but he's writing this letter and he's thinking in his heart, now look, we, we've, we've got the church established uh, and we know that even where it's scattered, it is being faithful to God's word. But we can't stay on like this because the kingdom of God cannot be allowed to stagnate. It's got to grow, and it's got to grow daily as we serve the Lord in building it. So he sits down, and he writes this letter. And as you know, in the beginning, uh, a part of this chapter... He speaks 
about the people he's addressing this letter to, where they live and what they're all about. And then he goes into a sort of time of praise and thanksgiving to God for all he is and then what he has done before he then homes in on what he wants these people to hear. Now, as you know, when you're in isolation, one of the things that happens to you is that you do not become aware of what is happening around you. This is why when many people have been in prison for years, they come out and they look outside and they think, oh, I feel unsafe out here because they are no longer in isolation. And so, of course, many of these churches that Peter is writing to, they are scattered. The word is scattered. But, you know, in a strange way, denominationalism today has done the same thing. As you probably know, I thank God uh, for this, but I, I preach in most of the denominations in this country at some time or other during the year. And I am amazed, and sometimes I smile, that there are two churches in one sort of locality. One might be a Methodist, the other might be a Baptist or an independent church. And neither of them know what's going on inside each other's walls. They don't realize that down the road, maybe in the Methodist church, they're on the cusp of a revival among their young people. And they are struggling to get a Sunday school going, but they have no idea. But wouldn't it be encouraging if those that were struggling to get a Sunday school going heard that just down the road, God is, is building young people's works? It would encourage them at least to pick up the phone and say, how do you do it? And they might have a very simple answer they didn't expect. We prayed. But I've, I've discovered this to be the case. So I guess it, one of the things that I'm known for is taking what's happening in one church to another one. And I have to tell you this honestly, because, um, you, you know, I can't hide it, but... Um, when Great Parks started to rise from the ashes all those years ago, I used that story to tell many churches that were left with four and five people that if they prayed, God would hear and answer. And I now go to some of those same churches where there were four and five, and there are 20, there are 30, there are 40 people there. So you see, we need to share this. And the, the, the Apostle Peter here is telling us this as a background for bringing us to this place where we are able to honestly answer the question with the help of the Holy Spirit, where do we go from here? And so when we get further on into chapter 1, we see that the Apostle just highlights three things Three things. In verse 13, you see these three things that he highlights. That the people in the early churches should think about doing. This is what he says. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ appears. Now, some of you, I know, will have read the message version of the Bible. 
I think it's a fantastic version because the writer puts many of the things in there in a format that people with very little theological knowledge and stuff can understand. He brings out the true meaning of what the text is saying from the Hebrew, uh, in the New Testament case, the original Greek. And so the first thing I want to say that Peter is saying to the early church, scattered as it is, is this. If you're wondering where you go from here and are sitting on your hands because you don't know where or what or how, the first thing you need to do is to roll up your sleeves. You need to roll up your sleeves. Prepare for action. Now, you know that if people don't want to help with a job, they come dressed up. I used to work for a guy, and um, he liked to travel. He liked the buzz of new things. And uh, when he knew that there was something going on like that, that there was a bit of sort of public awareness, he would turn up knowing that really those that came were required to work hard to get the job done. And he would turn up in his best suit and his Gucci shoes and so on and so forth. And he would just stand there and say, oh, uh, oh, oh, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. If I, if I knew, I would have brought some old clothes. I like the former naval officer from Plymouth, typical Devonian, who said to him, well, my handsome, you'll have to do it with your Gucci shoes on and your suit because we need your help. And almost you could see him trying to start to stand back. And there are people, you know, in churches that love big churches because they can hide in the crowd. I remember in the days when we had David Coffey for the first time at Upton Vale, he used to say to some of the members, I want you to sit where I know you are. Why, David? Well, because if someone, I believe, needs your help or there's someone near you that needs to talk to you, I can look and see and know you are there. That's a very good point. Because in a big church like that one, you can hide. You can go Sunday after Sunday. I know we used to sit upstairs. And one day, it was full. So we sat downstairs. And at the end of the service, this dear old lady said to, to, to my wife, Jeannie, she said, oh, hello, welcome. Are you on holiday? Jeannie said, no. Um, well, do you come here very often? Yes. Oh, well, I've never seen you here before. Oh, well, we've been here a long time. Oh, um, well, can you tell me who you are? Well, she said, I better tell you who my husband is, and then you'll know. She said, this is my husband, Leonard Dresden. Oh, yes. Do you know, it's so easy, though, isn't it, to become isolated, either because it's a big church or because we've just leveled out or because we keep ourselves to ourselves. But here, Peter is saying, get ready for action. Indeed, take your jacket off. Roll your sleeves up. You know, there is the old saying, isn't there? If you want to find someone to do a job in the church, ask the same old few. I know oftentimes when 
some of the jobs that go up in a church, like cleaning the church, the volunteers are often quite small. I'm speaking generally now, of course, not about great parks, where I'm sure you all want to come and clean the church. But you know what I mean? I go to places and, and there's a boards up on the wall, volunteers for this, and there's so few names because people aren't prepared to roll up their sleeves because it's costly to do so. See, if you roll your sleeves up, you get dirty. And I often think, you know, about our street pastors out there in the night in case there is an opportunity to help someone and to bring someone to faith in Christ or to stop someone being injured or hurt. But there's a price to pay. I, I know in the early days, uh, if you went into uh, Upton Vale on a Sunday morning, you always knew who'd been on street pastor duty because he couldn't keep awake through the sermon. You see, there is a cost to pay when you roll up your sleeves. So you've got, to, you've got to want to do it. And Peter is looking and suggesting to people that this work of building God's kingdom is one where we are all involved. You can unload a lorry very easily if you have a row of men together and they pass the parcel one to the other. But if you get one on the lorry and one on the road, it's going to take you a very long time to do the same job. And I believe that God is saying to us in these days that we live in, as we think of what's going on in the world, and you've had a sermon, I understand, this morning, which, which has given you some idea of what's going on in the world we live, we have an opportunity to roll up our sleeves and really get stuck in to serve the Lord and build his kingdom. It's going to be costly, but that's what God calls us to do it. And I know that uh, last year, one of the things I felt God was saying to me to do was to take my diary and uh, put it in front of me when I pray and um, leave it closed and just say, Lord, there's my diary. Don't let me organize it. Don't let me say how many times I'm willing to serve you. You do it. I guess I was a bit surprised when God filled the diary for the whole year. But you see, you've got to roll your sleeves up. And this is what Peter's getting at. He's saying, be prepared for action. How do the world out there know the church is alive if they don't see any action? And that's what God is saying to us, my friends, this evening from his word. Let's get prepared for action. I don't know what you've got planned here at Great Parks in terms of projects and, um, and things in the coming months, I have no idea. But God knows. And maybe there are things planned, which I wouldn't be surprised to hear. But God needs people to fulfill them by rolling up their sleeves and getting on with the job. But then secondly, I see that uh, Peter deals with something very special. Secondly, he says, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. One of the things the devil is most busy at doing is playing mind games. He's always telling people, you're not good enough, you're not big enough, etc., etc. And we know today that there are some Premier League managers among us in this country who play mind games. And mind games can destroy people. They say if you tell somebody they're stupid um, enough times, they'll think they're stupid after a while. 
And the devil is, is always trying to persuade us that we are not good enough to do the job. Or there are reasons, good reasons, why it's not for us. There's somebody better in our church that can do it. My friends, don't listen to the father of lies. That's what the Bible says. Yes, the devil is the father of lies. He's, he's great at telling lies. But what we have to do is we have to read God's word and we have to apply it and we have to say to Satan, you may want to play mind games with me, but let me tell you this, in my mind is the mind of Christ and that's how I am going to live, what Christ wants me to do. We know from Peter's life that he would have prayed very much ardently about anything that came like that across his way. And if you remember, Jesus actually said to Peter on one occasion, listen, Peter, Satan, the great arch deceiver, has desired to sift you like you sift wheat. In other words, to make all sorts of suggestions in your life that you're a failure, that you're no good, that this is not for you. And then Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. And so when Satan comes and plays mind games with you, just remember to tell him that there is one up in heaven at God's right hand who prays for us every day. One of the lines I like from one of the very old hymns goes something like this on this theme. It says about Jesus being up there in heaven at God's right hand. It says, praying for his children in that blessed place calling them to glory and sending them his grace while his bright home preparing faithful ones and true jesus ever liveth and ever loveth too my friends don't let satan play mind games with you because of course it's so easy often when you have a church meeting and you come up with a plan that satan will say oh well hang on you haven't got the money to do that you can't afford that Put it on the shelf for a while. Good idea. But no, 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 no. Leave it there for a while. My friend, the kingdom of God is coming soon. The days are short. We are in the last days. We need to proceed with what God has put into our hands to do, to extend his kingdom. And if you dare to believe that God is a God who hears and answers prayer and supplies all the needs of his people, then you are able to go ahead and know that even if there's no money in the bank, by the time the bills are due to be paid, God will supply. But of course it has to be said, friends, that if you come up with some harebrained scheme that's not of God's will and purpose, don't expect the money to be there because it won't. But I know from the times that I served with MAF over and over again, we had these challenges. A mission needed a service by air. We didn't have a plane. We didn't have the money to buy one. But what we did every time was go away and pray. And then we would come back together and say, well, what do you believe God is saying to you about this? And one person would say, this is what I believe. And always by the end of that exercise, we knew one way or the other what God's will was. And I can tell you this, even when we got to that stage, there were times 
when the answer was yes, go ahead, and we looked at the tag on the plane, something like one point odd million, and thought, how are we going to get that in six months? But you know what? My testimony simply is this. There were never any times when we were let down. Oh, yes, Satan played mind games with us over and over again. Ah, well, you know, let, let the UN deal with that. No, but God is saying, you know, that we should in the Christian world deal with this, not the UN. Ah, well, you know, look, you, you've got a lot on, leave it there. But over through uh, and through the years, people have proved whatever mission they've served, whatever work they've been involved in, they have proved that God never breaks his promise. But my friend, you see, Satan will always play mind games with you. So I say to myself, I will go home tonight and he'll play mind games with me. He'll probably tell me that because I'm getting older, I should cut my diary down for next year. But from what I see God's doing, God's got the opposite view. And it's so easy to say, oh, well, yes, I, I, I'll do what I want to do. But my friends, beware. God's got his hand upon this fellowship, not just as a fellowship. He's got his hand on every one of you, from the youngest to the oldest. And when Satan comes along and plays with your mind like that, you stand up and tell him that you belong to Christ and that his will and purpose is going to be the thing in your life that you are going to do to please the Lord. And then finally, the Apostle Peter just points out to us that when we understand that we've got to be ready for action in this work of building Christ's kingdom, and we've got to deal with the mind games of the devil, that then we must be ready to expect God's blessing to pour into our lives, to pour into our families, to pour into our businesses. Why? Well, because we are serving the Lord, and we're doing his will, and we're bringing glory to his name, and the blessings will begin to flow. And I know that you have seen this here through the years, as you in faith have stepped out on different sorts of ventures and programs, God has honored your faith. God has honored his word, and you have seen this place become alive. So when you give yourself to Christ and you say to him, Lord, I see and know what your will is, that we need to get ready for action. I'm ready to serve in whatever way you want then God will start to pour out his blessing in huge measure upon us. And so, my friends, this evening, this is the encouraging thing for us. And so I'm looking forward with great joy to what God is going to do in this area where we live in the coming weeks and months. I can't tell you everything that is part of my life for the coming days, God willing, but it excites me. It doesn't mean I keep awake at night. I go to sleep most happy and often wake up in the morning singing some hymn or chorus. Why? Well, because I realize when you give yourself to Christ and you are willing to be available for work, then God will not only employ you, but he will pour out 
his spirit upon you. So it was a long time ago when Peter sat and wrote this letter. And think, thinking as he did, how can he get the early church not to flatten out, but then to move again once more. And this is how he went about the task. And of course, because he did today in our generation, we have a church that maybe isn't growing as much as we'd like in this country yet. But around the world, I can tell you, God's church is growing like a wildfire. And people are seeing amazing things happening in church fellowships, small and great, because someone has realized that it's time to get ready for action. I pray that God's word will sink into your heart this night and that you'll take it home and pray about it. And remember this, <laughs> if I may say this humorously, I drive past this place uh, certainly three or four times a week. <laughs> so I shall be watching and listening because I believe God's got great things in store for you. And um, I pray that God will bless you in the coming days. Amen.